haven't seen you in a while. <laughs> <laughs> it's a joy to see all of you and to see many faces that I haven't seen for several lifetimes. <laughs> and uh, it's a, a joy to see those I haven't seen for a few days. And it's a, a joy to see all of the shining souls who are here gathered together for the highest purpose of self-realization and liberation. It's always a technical challenge to know how to approach the subject of sat yoga for a new group that's made up of some beginners in meditation, some intermediate, some advanced, some very advanced, and uh, to find a common denominator, a highest common denominator, that can unite us at a vibrational frequency that brings about the liberation and transcendence of the ego. So, I want to offer a particular approach for this weekend that I hope will meet the, the needs and uh, open up the next step for those who are already on the path. How many are new to meditation? Anyone completely new? Okay, good. So, ah, okay. We're all new to meditation, so don't worry about it. And it's better to be new to meditation because you don't have anything to unlearn, okay? And those who uh, live in the ashram know that every introduction to Sat Yoga is always different, so we always have to be reintroduced. Because if it's not ever new, then it's stale and it doesn't produce the effect that we want from it, which is to be in a state of complete presence. So. Define yoga as the practice of delight. That's really what meditation is about. If you're not in a state of delight, you're not really meditating. If you look up the word delight in a Sanskrit dictionary, you will find pages and pages of words that all mean delight. There are more words for that concept. In English, we are very impoverished in the terms that we have for it. We have a few that we could add. 
that in Sanskrit would be situations uh, in which the light would be accentuated. But we could say things like fascination, wonderment, astonishment, uh, let's see, awe. I suppose there are a few more. I wouldn't even use joy because that's already something that adults, you know, have or are supposed to feel at certain times, you know. <laughs> they even command you, rejoice, rejoice, you know. <laughs> so it has to be spontaneous or it's not the real thing. So why do we want to be in a state of delight rather than misery? Does anyone prefer misery to delight? <laughs> How many people hang out more in misery than in delight? There's a few honest people here. Well, you're not sat yogis if you're in misery, so you should be miserable about your misery, and, or at least enjoy it, be delighted with your misery. That's probably a better approach. Because at some level, of course, you are enjoying your misery. Well, if you ever see babies, if they're healthy, non-traumatized babies, their normal, natural state is delight, isn't it? I mean, that's why people like to hang out with babies. <laughs> yeah. Unless they're hungry or need their diaper changed or something else, and then the delight will become a scream of you know, demanding of attention, but the, the delight is the natural state. So before we acquired egos, all of us were always in a state of delight. That's, that's the normal baseline of human consciousness. And then an ego program was imposed on us that took away our delight. And the ego is based on the loss of delight. Because we were trained that we had to get serious. And we had to be worried about things. And we had to be concerned with learning things and with doing things that we didn't want to do. And our delight soon became uh, something else. And there was a nostalgia for the lost delight. And so delight became a kind of uh, imaginary state that we wished we could be in. And all of culture is basically made up of ways of being in artificial substitutes of delight. We try to get delight from films, from comfort food, from all kinds of artificial celebrations and uh, sex, drugs, rock and roll, but none of them produce real delight. And we have lost our delight because we've lost our innocence. So delight comes with the return of innocence. 
This is why it's said in the Gospels, of course, unless you become as a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's, it's this, it's the delight of the innocent child or baby that is uh, the kingdom of heaven itself. And because delight is our natural state, it's easy to return to it. But it's a vibrational frequency that lies outside the bounds of the ego. And once we acquired language and learned to speak and to think, we lost touch with the present because the mind takes you into the future or it's worried about the past or it's trying to connect the two, but the ego mind is not in the present. And the light is presence. Because delight means you're encountering something now that's amazing. And it's that amazement about reality. Everything is incredible. You look at the sunset. You look at the, the amazing people who are here. You feel the energy. You feel the life energy flowing through your body. There's intense delight if you simply focus on everything that is present in the immediate instant of your awareness. But once you start thinking, the delight turns to worry and turns to problem solving or turns to some other kind of emotional state. So when we meditate, we want to shut off the ego mind that is a defense against delight and return to our natural state. You don't have to struggle for it because it is your natural state. There's, you don't have to do something to earn the right to be in a state of delight. That's natural to us all. But it is a, a question whether you will allow yourself to be in a state of delight. Because the ego often has rules built into it that you're not allowed to feel too happy. And so you have to be willing to break all the rules of the ego or the super ego, to use a Freudian term. There's a voice in there that says you ha you're not worthy of being in a state of delight. You didn't do your homework. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. Think of all the sins you've committed. Think of all of whatever, and you're not allowed to be in delight. You've got to earn it. Well, okay, so we have to throw out all those beliefs we have that keep delight at arm's length. But it is the beliefs in the mind that stop us from enjoying delight. And those beliefs include self-images that one doesn't deserve or doesn't, uh, shouldn't even be in a state of delight because one might misuse one's delight. One might get in trouble if one is too happy. One might do things that one isn't supposed to do. 
you see. So the rules built into the ego were made to protect us against misbehavior if we were in a state of delight. But in fact, when we're in delight, and you can all feel free to watch the sunset, it's delightful. <coughs> One of those miracles we get every day. And it's always new and different. And so delight, once we have acquired an ego, becomes alien to us, even though it's our original natural state we have migrated into another state of consciousness in which delight tends to be not allowed. And when we meditate, we want to let go of all of that nonsense that says we can't be in the most blissful, delightful, happy state possible to our being. But this is why uh, people live. Everyone is on a search for ultimate delight. This is the holy grail of existence, really, isn't it? But what is the secret of delight? Well, what yogis discovered thousands of years ago is that delight is the nature of the self. It's the vibrational frequency of the real self. Just like babies don't study to be in a state of delight, it's spontaneous. It is our natural state when we are in touch with the real self, not the false self that we have acquired. It's a return to innocence, return to being, a return to presence. It's that simple. It's that simple, and yet, because of the ego's complexity and the ego's negativity and the ego's defenses against opening its heart because it had been hurt too many times, traumatized too many times, disappointed and betrayed too many times, the ego refuses to open its heart. And delight is a state of open-heartedness, right? And so the ego actually can become anxious when it thinks about being in a state of delight. It's very paradoxical. Delight can be scary. <coughs> this is one of the reasons why when uh, people are in a state of love, whether it's interpersonal love or some other kind, but mostly when there's, an, there's a, another being that one feels love for, there's always a push-pull and always a sense of, uh, of being in a, a field of danger because you can be rejected, you can be uh, abandoned. And because that feels so uh, dangerous, one often doesn't take the risk to feel the ecstasy of opening one's heart. And it's not about desire. Desire doesn't produce delight. Desire comes from the want of delight. One seeks it. 
but delight happens when there is appreciation for the beauty of the other or of the world, the sunset, the reality itself. Beauty produces delight, doesn't it? And because the ancients have made a connection between truth and beauty, truth can also produce delight for people. Encountering truth brings, can bring a state of joy. And truth is the state of open-hearted appreciation of beauty. The, true, the two go together. Beauty is the truth of our being and of reality. When we are true to ourselves, we will be in a state of beauty, inner beauty, soul beauty, spiritual beauty. And that beauty comes out in the form of delight and in the form of willingness to communicate truth. And so delight puts us in harmony with our own being and with every being because everyone starts out with that same internal sense of delight as our essence. There is no one who is born with some different kind of essential, uh, sublime feeling state that resonates at that level of the real self spontaneously. And therefore, we relate to each other most deeply when we are in a state of delight. And when we see the real self in the other, it produces a feeling of delight. And when we recognize the delightful nature of one another, then we allow ourselves to relax and to be at peace and to, to flow. The flow state that everyone wants to be in comes from that willingness to let down one's defenses and to be spontaneous in a state of delight about everything that happens. It's, it's a state that becomes constant. But in order for our delight not to be interrupted, we must gain a realization that the self that is delight is not the mind. <clears throat> the mind that thinks that remembers, that plans, that strategizes, that is a program that we acquired. But the natural state of presence doesn't do any of that. It just is. And so we have to put the ego program which projects our being in time and space away from the present on pause. And so meditation is the act of pausing the ego mind's processing of reality and simply being. 
present. What we discover when we are present and open is that we are able to acquire more information about reality in a state of delight than in any other state. Because it is fascination and wonderment with what is. And that is what allows us to understand reality. When you're in a state of paranoia, you will not be able to deeply understand what is going on. The anxiety stops you from having a deep resonance and understanding and connection to what's happening. Because there's a fight or flight uh, mode that goes on that keeps one from being able to be fully present to the depth dimension of the real. It's that depth dimension that the light takes us into. And so that allows us to understand reality literally at a deeper level than we can ever reach otherwise. And because, as modern scientists have discovered, the world is information. All of this is made up of information. Information theory is, is now been integrated with quantum physics. And at the very subtlest level, the most elemental, fundamental level of the universe, it's a unified field of quantum information. But the consciousness that can order, organize, understand, and integrate that information must be present to the infinity of the cosmic field of information. And to do that means one must be free of defenses, free of limitations, free of any limiting frame of reference that would censor out parts of that field of information. It's the censoring out of information that is caused by adopting a particular frame of reference that shuts out all other possible frames of reference that limits our capacity to encounter reality in full and causes us to have a partial response to reality, which is never adequate to the nature of the situation and which short circuits our creativity and our intelligence in general. It's the delight, the ecstasy, that produces the access of the entirety of the noosphere, of the infinite information and intelligence as a unity that we are then able to understand and express through our being. And that's what our consciousness is intended to be able to do. And it's this, because this is truth and beauty in its wholeness, that is the nature of the ultimate absolute self that we originally are before we incarnate into a body. Most of us have not yet fully recognized and entered into the implications of the fact 
that your consciousness is projected into your body. You're not really in your body. You might think you are, but science has shown that this universe is a hologram. And that hologram lies within the consciousness of an absolute intelligence that designs and operates and pervades and sustains and transforms the nature of the apparent events within space-time. In the old days, they called that God. They're returning to the idea because of the fall of Darwinism to the realization there must be an intelligence that has designed this, that's absolutely true. But it's also been shown by quantum physics that this intelligence is at the very source of what is, and the intelligence that observes phenomena, whether it's a photon or something more complex, actually brings it into manifestation. Observation is creative, it's not reactive. And so consciousness is there at the fundament of reality. You could say reality is made of consciousness and information. And it is the unity, the unification of that that produces ultimate delight. And it's this that is one possible description for the ultimate state of samadhi, that yogis who reach that absolute in meditation by totally silencing the mind, flatlining the consciousness as if one has died, but died to the mind of the ego so that the cosmic mind, the absolute mind, that functions not in linear two-valued logic like language does, but that functions in accord with the logic of the intelligent designer of the cosmos that once in resonance produces what is referred to by the yogis as sat-chit-ananda, the realization of absolute being or presence, chit-intelligence, and ananda-bliss. This is the primordial state of being that all of us have access to if we are willing to let down the defenses of the ego and disidentify both with language and with the organism and its trajectory through space-time and recognize that your consciousness contains the cosmos. Your ego is that part of your mind which is a subset of a subset of a subset of the entirety of the consciousness that identifies with a physical organism. But you go back to the original set that contains it all, and you have consciousness that is everywhere, omnipresent, not localized, not based in the egoic identification with a body form, a gender, an age, uh, all of the other aspects of the persona, but identified with that ultimate intelligence that's behind and underlies reality. 
And so therefore yoga has always been considered a science, a science of the real. But to make progress in that science on a practical level requires that you are in the state of consciousness that can enter into those depths of reality beyond the ego. And the quickest, most direct path to get from ego to absolute is through ecstasy, through delight. So that's the path I recommend. You can do it through struggle if you want, and self-discipline and all of those uh, good virtues. Uh, but the light is the more spontaneous and accurate path because it will unerringly get you back to your original self. So how many people would like to take the path of the light to realization? All right. It's a good positive group. If you'd prefer misery, I'd have to probably let someone else teach the weekend. 